Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Check it out. This is Todd Terry. And you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. Let's do it. House Culture. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us on this brand new episode of the House Culture Podcast, hosted by me, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. It's a pleasure to be talking directly to you today, and I hope that you're enjoying this season so far. Thanks again for all of your support, as without that, this show just wouldn't be possible. So thank you again. To all those new listeners out there, I'd like to roll out the red carpet to House Culture. We are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Come and join us over in the main room on Instagram at HouseCultureNet to get yourself connected with the rest of our crew partying across the world. And if you want to get yourself involved in all of our other club culture conversations, make sure you get those fingers dusty by crate digging through our huge back catalogue of episodes. I'm sure there are plenty of familiar names to you in there as we've chatted to DJ legends such as Paul Oakenfold, Roger Sanchez, Fatboy Slim and David Morales. Famed club promoters like Mike and Claire Manumission, Danny Clockwork and Dawn Hindle from Pike's Hotel, or even the superstars of today and tomorrow, people like Purple Disco Machine and Dam Swindle. However, do not be afraid to press play on those obscure names you might not recognise, as we make sure that all of our guests have an interesting story to share, whether it's Melon Bomb Scott Gray quitting his job, buying a van and moving to Ibiza, Buckley becoming a viral news sensation when he decided to sell his record collection, or Bongo Ben's exploits with Idris Elba in the toilets at High. Ask no questions. They're all there for your listening pleasure. Now, enough about all of that. What have we got coming up in this episode? Well, it doesn't really get much bigger than this, as I spoke to a DJ, producer, remixer that's gone by many different names over the years, like Royal House, Black Riot, Orange Lemon, some even call him God. To us, he's the one and only Todd Terry. 
In our conversation, you'll hear what kind of sounds influenced him early on in his dance music career. Let the Music Play was like one of the first records I learned how to arrange and do a bass line and what's that sound and what's this. I, I had like a little drum machine and I, I used to play the bass line and learn the bass line over and over again. So I just, I never came out the house. My friend's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm making this music thing. I'll see you guys later. And I would never show up later, you know. What his formative clubbing days were like? So at 16, I had an ID that was 21, you know, something like that. And we used to go to Roseland, the Roxy and stuff like that and break dance with each other and, and have, you know, that whole life. We lied a lot. <laughs> Just to get into the DJ booth, we said, oh, that's our record playing. The skills that he's learned that make him a great DJ. I go back to the days of DJs where you had to play six genres. You play reggae, funk, soul, freestyle, you know, rap, house, disco. You played all of that in one night. And what motivates him when he is in the studio? So I always wanted to make classics, something that will play for 20 years, 30 years. And, you know, I won't just let the record just be playing Jane all the way straight through. I'm going to cut into a bridge part and then there's different percussion and then come back to this thing. Like, I'm always trying to make a classic, a classic, a classic, a classic. So here he is. I hope you can all bow down with me. This is Todd Terry. House Culture. Hi, Todd. It's an honour to have you on the House Culture podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. You're a legend within the dance music community, often described as Todd the God because of your influence in terms of productions and remixes as well as your status as one of House Music's true superstar DJs. However, we always want to roll things back on the House Culture podcast and start at the beginning and ask the question, where did you grow up and how did you first discover music? Uh, I grew up in um, Coney Island, Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. And I discovered, um, you know, music from uh, my sister blasting music in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to always get in to the bedroom and she wouldn't let me get into the bedroom so I could dance or whatever. So, um, you know, when she would leave, I would, you know, go in there and put on the record and listen to it a hundred times or whatever. Mm-hmm. So a lot of records back then was like, you know, James Brown and stuff like that. A lot of funk and soul records. Yeah. Yeah. So your sister had good taste then. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when you were listening to those as well, like how, how old were you at that stage? Uh, I want to say I was anywhere from sevens, seven to eight years old somewhere around there yeah and so you know you were you were listening to your sister's stuff or at what point were you kind of going out there saving up your own money buying your own records yeah um i would say a little bit after that i, I saved up i think it was like 70 cents to go buy a james brown 45 and um i was i just wanted to play my record on her her system and she wouldn't let me she says no no can't just keep on coming in here playing this record over and over again because <laughs> I just want to play my record, you know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to play none of her records. I just want to play my one record. <laughs> Which James Brown work track was it? It was Hot Buttered Popcorn, something like that. It was I think it was that one. Mm-hmm. Hot Buttered Popcorn, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I, was, I was all into that. Cool. And were you building up then after that a, a bit of a record collection yourself or how did that work? Um, no, not really. It kind of, you know, get a record every now and then here and there. And But I used to play uh, a little bit of drums for my church. So I got into that stuff. And then um, I think around 12 or 13 um, is when I was checking it out again, 
you know, in between that time, it was more like playing baseball and all types of other sports and hanging out with my friends and stuff like that. And then um, by 14, 15, there was something called the Bazaar in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. New York. And, um, a friend of mine's Larry D. He used to play music there for everybody to dance. And that's when I got into, you know, just, oh, you could just play music and everybody could dance. That's cool. And then a year after that, he he got a mixer. Mm-hmm. So then he was explaining to us that he could go from one record to the other. And that was it. I was done. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, wait a minute, you could move that into this thing and it's mixing the thing. And I was that, that was it. That was it. I was, I was, I was into it forever. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of music was he playing at that point? Um, well, when he first got the mix and stuff like that, he was just into a lot of like disco and funk and soul type of stuff. But then after that, um, we became, I started, I got into like the crew with them and we became B-boys. Mm-hmm. So what B-boys would do, they're cutting up the breaks back and forth, you know? So we, our, um, we was big fans of Grandmaster Flash, mm-hmm. uh, Theodore, you know, um, you know, a lot of those DJs was cutting records back and forth. So we wanted to learn how to do all those techniques. So then I got into the technique of being a B-boy mm-hmm. and cutting up break beats, start, such as Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, Jimmy Squire, the Big B, Daisy Ladies, Seventh Wonder, you know, Heart, Heartbeat, Tanya Gardner. You know, it's like a lot of those records we just cut back and forth. And that's that was the b-boy era. Yeah, I mean, absolutely classic tracks you've been mentioning there, like real formative, groundbreaking stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Like to to gather all of that together, like a, you know, it's a lot of different genres as well. Like that real kind of melting pot of bringing everything together. Yeah, it was rock and everything, but if it had a breakbeat in it, we was we was doing it. You know, we was cutting it back and forth, and then we used to MC on top of the breakbeats. We had a couple of MCs. I was an MC at one point. It was it was crazy, you know. Right. It, was, it was just that that life, that style. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, put, put you know, being together in a crew like that as well. Were you putting on your own parties, events, or or you know, people coming down to see you? Yeah, first when yeah when I was you know with Larry, you know, we do parties, birthday parties, all that type of stuff. And then later on, I got I got into it and started getting my own equipment. I started doing my own parties. So I was doing sweet sixteens, bar mitzvahs. I was just doing anything to get my hands on. But then I was playing popular music. It wasn't so much cutting records back and forth. It's more like, you know, Prince, Michael Jackson, you know, a lot of the more popular music and, and stuff. And then from there, I got into playing more electronic stuff, you know, such as anything Arthur Baker did, you know, John Roby, you know, the freestyle era, that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that freestyle era as well, that was like where that, you know, like you've just mentioned, the the real kind of electronic element came in. And, you know, especially with like the drum machines and samplers and that that technology kind of democratized it almost and made it accessible to people. Um, You know, were you thinking at that point, I want to get some equipment myself and start creating? Well, yeah, something like when, when Let The Music Play came out, that was like where I said, okay, and um, I got to get equipment. I got to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. So let the music play. It was like one of the first records I learned how to arrange and do a bass line and what's that sound and what's this. I, and I had like a little drum machine and I little DR fifty five rolling drum machine. So I would program that and they had to learn how to do it. And I had like a keyboard Casio CZ one one hundred one or one hundred whatever. I can't remember it now. It's so long ago. I used to play the bass line and learn the bass line over and over again. So I just, I never came out the house. 
<laughs> Once I got the drum machine in the keyboard, and my friends like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm making this music thing. I'll see you guys later." And I would never show up later, you know. <laughs> you know, they, even my my in my my hood, they used to, yeah, you make fun of me like, "Yeah, you doing that music? You what are you doing that for? You ain't gonna go nowhere with that. You need a band. You need a whole studio and everything." I was like, "Yeah." Well, I'm going to try to do it at home. Yeah. I mean, and what was that like, you know, at home? So I take it, you know, you're at home with your with your folks, with your parents, maybe your, your family still. Yeah. And, you know, what what was their impression of what you were doing? Like, were you just making a lot of noise? And they were like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. My mom was like, my mother was like, turn it down. All you do is play the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, I'm learning how to do it. You know, I'm learning how to figure out how to make make a record. I'm going to make records. Mom, mm-hmm. She says, yeah, okay, you better finish your school work. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about like, you know, in terms of having that kind of B-boy um, like mentality, you know, cutting, scratching, chopping, you know, taking different genres and putting them together. You know, at what stage when you were creating, did you have like a first success and you started to maybe pass your tunes around and people were playing them? And how how, how did that work? I don't know. I used to do these kind of tapes with just the drum machine and scratches, you know, scratching the other, you know, records here and there and try to mix the records in with the drum machine and then go into other things and then change the beat on the drum machine and do some scratches. It was just like experimenting and stuff like that. But one of the things that I became famous for in my neighborhood was this um, Axel F thing that I did. Mm. And it sort of was Jimmy Squire, Big Beat, and I played Axel F on top on the keyboard on top of it and i gave out cassettes of that and was like yo i play that and it was like nine minutes long it was like the same <laughs> thing with scratches and, go, and people just wanted to get it from me it was very, it was very silly back then but it's what you know that's what people were just getting into and they thought was kind of cool and then after that that's what i really you know tried to do the record thing yeah yeah and i mean you know at this at this time as well were you yourself going out as a you know a clubber a punter were you on the dance floors like, absorbing that yeah, scene in, yeah. in in that area well as i got old as i got to like 16 yeah i guess 16 ish you know I, I started going studios and stuff like that just with different people and then uh, yeah, I used to go to clubs, and I had fake ID. Mm-hmm. So at sixteen, I had an ID that was twenty-one, you know, something like that. And we used to go to Roseland, you know, ten eight, um, the Roxy, and stuff like that, and break dance with each other, and, and have you know that whole life, whatever. So yeah, we um, we lied a lot <laughs> <laughs> get to get into things. Then we, you know, we said that we we just to get into the DJ booth, we said, oh, that's our record playing. You know? <laughs> And the guy believed us and he let us in the booth or whatever. So we met um, Baby D and Roseland and stuff like that. So it was, you know, a lot of different stories, different places. Yeah. 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 And like those clubs and at that time, you know, what was your passion in terms of music? Was it a bit of everything or was there a certain genre that you were funneling yourself into? Uh, what, what I just, what I was checking out was when I was in like Roseland and a record was playing and the record would have this break. In my mind, I wanted to say, wow, why it'd be really interesting just to take that break mm-hmm. and make a record out of just the break. Mm-hmm. So that was my whole vision is to do that. So in terms of kind of you're already producing this stuff and, you know, just what whatever you wanted to call it at that stage, it was just create like massive creativity in terms of taking things and putting yeah. them together. Like how did you first discover house music and how did that first come onto your radar? All right, well, 
gotta go back to the So I, the, some of the first records that I did was with um this guy uh, Tony D and Isla's Records. Um, I had like I don't know how they got to know me or whatever, but they was out of Coney Island, and I went there and started working in their studio, and I did a lot of um like rap records, mm-hmm. the beats and the keyboards. Actually, I produced like MC Search, mm-hmm. Bad Boys, you know, Bad Girls. Um, you know, I had tracks with um, Dougie Fresh, tracks with um, uh, Houdini, Dynasty and Mimi, you know, Choice of C's. I was just started doing, I was the basement guy. Yeah. Making beats and doing all that type of stuff. We, we had some drum machines and stuff we was working on. And um, from that transaction, I was, you know, I was doing freestyle records at the time too. So I was producing uh, Giggles, Fascination, Isis, um, working with Little Louie on, you know, Noel and Cover Girls, all that era. And then uh, I was in my house like a couple of days and my friends used to come over, which was um, Mike Delgado and um, one of my boys' tracks. Mm-hmm. And they brought over a cassette. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I pop in the cassette, they go, yo, you got to do stuff like this. And my boy, he's dancing. He's dancing in the house. And he's like, yo, this is it. This is it's garage. It's it's funky, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. To me, it sounds like the same beat all over again, but I'll give it a try. Mm. So um, I, I made up um, these two house things at that time. And one of them was Party People. Yeah. And um, my friends come back and I play for them. They go, yo. This is this is gonna be the greatest thing ever, yo! And he's dancing around and stuff like that. So uh, that's how I got into house music. But what I sampled on the cassette, I didn't even know who it was. Yeah, I was uh, you know I was sampling Marshall Jefferson, Juan mm-hmm. Atkins, Kevin Saunderson, Derek May. I was just sampling them. Yeah, because I didn't really know or care at that time. You know what I'm saying? And um, you know, later in life, I found out that it, you know it was horrible to sample people and stuff like that. But it was it, it just happened like that. Yeah, yeah, and you know what I mean. You listen to that party people track, and like under it's under Royal House, and you know yeah. you can just tell that you you've heard it. It sounds like you're having so much fun with it. I was joking around. Uh-huh. I was actually joking around. I was like, "Oh, he wants something like this." Party people. I just was make. I was kind of making fun of my my friends, like in a way, like you like this, like this is this is nothing. I could do this. This is nothing, you know. So. It was, it was just a funny thing, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I got a record deal with it. It was like, oh, crazy. Yeah, that is nuts. Yeah, yeah. So putting that track together, I mean, outside of that, um, playing it to your friends, did yeah. you hear that, like, hit a dance floor? Had you given that to any DJs or anything like that? Have you seen what the destruction it could do? Yeah, one of the first people I gave that to was, um, like, Little Louis Vega. He was playing at this club called Heartthrob. He used to drop it. I gave it to like a couple of random DJs and random clubs. And they was like, yo, because remember they're coming from freestyle too mm-hmm. into house. Yeah. So it's almost like all my freestyle buddies went into house because I started doing house. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a, it was like a era of transition. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. So, and yeah, you yeah, can yeah. see, you can start, when you look back, you can totally see that kind of, all of those genres that melting pot like all kind of yeah. coming together and coalescing um and yeah. i mean you know you said you were having fun with it and you were kind of making fun of it in a way like at what point did it then become like serious like i can do this it became serious when they took me to london yeah 
when they they said, "Oh, you're going on tour." <laughs> Who's they? This was um Sleeping Bag at the time. Sleeping uh-huh. Bag records and Fresh Records. That's when I took it kind of more seriously. To me, I was really just trying to make some money and give my mom some money and just buy nice clothes. You know, I didn't really think of anything like that and quit my job, mm-hmm. basically. I was working at a supermarket and um, I remember going to the the boss at the time and I said, hey, I'm leaving. And he goes, what? Because I was like his favorite worker because I was very meticulous and stuff like that. He's like, no, you're not. Just get to work. Get 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 to your owl. Like you're not going nowhere. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm leaving. I'm quitting. And he's like, no, you can't quit. What do you mean you can't quit? What are you gonna do? I said, I'm making records. I'm making music. He goes, this this stuff no good. This no good. You need to go. Come work. Come on, work. Come on. You do. I. What do you want? You want more money here? I give you another five dollars. And I was like, no, buddy, I'm out. So that's when I got into um, really deep in the records and i was in the studio at the time with other people playing a little bit of keyboards making beats for all types of records i was just all over the place yeah i mean it's great like that era and like what what year was that then was that like 87 88 86 87 yeah yeah and like you you look at your discography and the output during that time and there's you know there's obviously we mentioned party people there's can you party there's bango there's you know it's a day in the life like all of those things and they're all absolutely incredible but they all came from such a short period of time like you were in that you were locked in there yeah i was a maniac because it because a couple of records i got paid for like one record i got paid three thousand dollars and that was it mm-hmm. i said oh i'm gonna make a million dollars next year and that was <laughs> that was it so i just I just went for it. I just was like, I went maniac. So I think I had like 30 releases that year or something crazy at that particular point. Mm. And it, even labels are getting mad at me. Oh, this guy's got another record. You just got to I don't care. It's like, I'm getting this money. You know, <laughs> I don't care what you say. You know, at that time I still, you know, I, I did, I did have some, I had a gang era where I was in a gang, gang type of stuff mm-hmm. when I was, you know, 15, 16. So I still had that mentality. Like you, you can't tell me nothing yeah. unless there was a problem. So, you know, I was, I'm not saying I was the gangster of the industry at that time, but I was, I definitely was uh, aggressive with my way of getting paid <laughs> <laughs> not, and not playing around with, with my money at that time. I was just really focused. Like, you don't pay my money right now. You know, I carrying a gun and everything. I no was way. just like, that that type of mentality wow wow aggressive negotiations yeah you know they wanted it so don't play around and you know let's let's do the business and blah blah, blah. so as soon as they play around me i would take, take the record and sell it to somebody else if they played around one day with me i go sell it to the label down the block no way no way that's what i did i used to do that yeah wow and you mentioned coming to london as well like um yeah like what records at that point releases had you got under your belt and where did you hear that what you were playing them to audiences over here had you already heard other djs over here playing them and embracing that sound as well um i heard about the radio stations playing bango mm-hmm. and 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 then weekend and yeah. that was you know i was like oh i gotta check this out so you know i went to do the sleeping bag tour with um uh, it was me, Mantronics, Just Ice, um, Tila Rock, Nice and Smooth, uh, and uh, Steezo, uh, Cash Money and, and Marvelous. We all went out for the sleeping bag tour. That was the only one that had the dance music. No, me and Joyce Sims. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, and I was mostly all of those guys DJ. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the T La Rock, you know, we have routines and I'll cut stuff up for T La Rock for the beginning of the show and play his records and he would perform it. So that's, that's, that was the family. Like it was just, uh, we was, we just, we just killed that tour. One of our first clubs was the, the WAG. And then we did Brixton Academy. Then we did the Fridge. You know, we, we was, we, we killed, we killed it that year. You yeah. Know, we was, we was everywhere. I mean, did you feel that the audiences over here in, in the UK and in Europe as well, were you feeling that, they there was a different kind of how they were feeding off of it what was the difference i mean you guys were more accessible to music like it could be any style just so long as it's thrown in right and it's and it just sounds arranged you guys were banging it out you know and that was the whole thing it was just the key of arrangement and excitement and you know you guys were dancing all night to all different types of music as far as hip-hop house funk soul it's just the way you arrange it so that's that's what I I, I I wanted to get down packed like i would have an acapella go into this then go into that and you know then i'm going funk and so because i come back i go back to the days of djs where you had to play six genres yeah you play reggae funk soul freestyle you know rap house disco you played all of that in one night you did wasn't just playing house and that and that's like a fantastic foundation for a dj isn't it to be able to like make those changes and those movements and control yeah. the dance floor in that way yeah the transactions of getting you know going from a house record with an echo to a reggae record and everybody goes oh you know <laughs> so you, you got to figure that you know that's what i used to always figure out the transactions mm-hmm. and you, you know you mentioned um bango as well and we've spoken to harry romero on this podcast as well and he was like that tune specifically he said changed his life um mm. and you know in terms of that and you know party people and the other ones as well there was some there that had like the same beat but different elements on top like this what i was teaching a lot of guys around me you know such as harry and and, and you know kenny and louis is like if the beat is good at least make five records on that same beat <laughs> why not and then what, what happens is it becomes like a, a thing mm-hmm. so i used to have an hour of power from every dj because they was able to mix in all the records together you know it's like it's it like they had the same groove and then that section had this same groove and that section had that same groove mm-hmm. so you know uh between you know bango candy party back to the beat uh, that had the same beat. And then Weekend, Just Want to Dance, and two other other records, that had the same beat. You know, so it was just the transactions. I was trying to make DJ's transaction lovely, you know, so they just look look as good because if they look really good, they're going to play it. Yeah, and it's it's that kind of almost like a reggae influence in that way of like setting that standard that, that you know, there's yeah, no tunes yeah, that yeah. have that, you know, that groove. Yeah. That, that rhythm, yeah, once you got the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Play the ten of those records. People are having a good time, and next rhythm, play that type of stuff. Yeah, so it's definitely a you know a reggae vibe mentality. Due to I used to go to VP Records a lot, and Jamaica Queens, and I used to hang out with the reggae guys more than anybody else. You know, which is just strange. It's like, oh, you hang out with Oswald and da da da, and I say, yeah, that's my boy and everything. We just just go up there and just play records for each other. Yeah. Yeah, you know that that was the vibe. It was just it was a, a digging in the crates of all types of music vibe. Mm-hmm. And you know, thinking about 
um tracks like you know can you party and stuff like that i mean obviously massive massive tunes in the kind of what was deemed like that acid house explosion in the uk you know the summer of love mm. in 88 and the hacienda and all yeah. these types of things you know can you tell us about when you first started playing in you know those kind of formative acid house house music clubs in the uk like the hacienda and what that what was that experience like for you um i mean it was it was it was great for me because I, I basically in my mind i'm just doing my own thing you know, I, I'm 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 DJing this way. I'm cutting records in and out. I'm I'm doing my b-boy style in house. Mm-hmm. So I had a great opening for that. Nobody saw saw people cutting records back and forth in house back then, and then mixing into the next one, and you know, echoes and cutting in crazy records and bass lines and stuff like that. I was, you know, I'm brought up into having a you know action not just letting a record play for eight minutes, mm-hmm. you know, or like, what can I do with that record for eight minutes? You know, can I acapella it and cut back to the beat and cut back to the beginning and then go to this record and cut back into that, you know? So it's just kind of, I, I try to keep the, you know, the dance floor as interesting as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of that energy and all of those samples and things like that, um, you know, I'm thinking about um, a day in the life um, for me, like my, um like entry into dance music i had an older brother he was well into the the rave scene here in the uk you know the early 90s and that track specifically it's almost like a blueprint for the Mm. rave scene in the uk like it's been sampled so many times um and it was kind of a bit of a, a bit different from those other those other earlier productions you had done because it almost stepped away from the more recognizable samples exactly yeah well that was the i when i did that record i thought it was strange <laughs> so I, you know because it's a totally different sound mm-hmm. it's a totally it, it, it was the sound it's that stab was totally different than anything else in this world so you know i, I know i remember sitting there and I played it over and over. I said, this is weird. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, I just like, this is a weird one, but I think people like weird stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to get it put out. Like, I'm going to put it out. I'm going to do it. It's, it's weird. It's different. And, you know, I was the one that I was always into, like, I wanted to take the chances. Mm-hmm. Like I could have three hit records and then I'll, I go do the oddest crazy record. You know, I always wanted to do that. That was just always my, my vibe on a day in a life. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, back then you got to realize that samples, that sound sounded so weird. Yeah. You know, it was like a weird sound. And they're like, and and you're sitting there going, that's some weird shit. So. (laughs) Cool. And, you know, it's, you know, it's under the moniker Black Riot. And, you know, and obviously at this point you've had like Raw House, Todd Terry Project, you know, Black Riot, all of these different names. Did that give you the flexibility as an artist what was the reasoning kind of behind all of that well the reason behind that is because people they wouldn't let me like if i say so todd terry project was signed to sleeping bag Mm -hmm. and at that time i had a a deal with zamba music you know at the time jive records whatever so that thing was like oh you only can have this thing and you gotta you know only put out that name on that label at this time and i was like well that holds me back so you know, I can't put out another Todd Terry record. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to put out a different name produced by me and, and put out. That's That was back in the days when credits were key. Like yeah. you look at the credits and blah, blah, blah. Now you don't know who did what and 
in the record. So I can't do that today. I would love to do that today, but I can't do that today. Um, so um, that's why I came up with all the different names produced by me, because they wouldn't let me be Todd Terry on seven different labels. So I had to come up with seven different names to be on seven different labels. And you can maximize your, your revenue seven times over. Into the million dollars. <laughs> Get to the million. Absolutely. And, you know, another another one of your names as well, just another one of those classic tracks is uh, Orange Lemon, you know, Dreams of Santa Ana. I mean, uh, you know, I've heard that pitched up, pitched down, normal speed <laughs> across all different types of sets. It's, no, and, no. you know, it obviously takes inspiration from or is a remake of or whatever of, you know, that B-Boy no. classic, um, Babe Ruth, Mexican um like what what were you trying to achieve with that track just tell us about how that came together for you just just a version of the mexican you know it's it, i not only i you know the babe roof mexican i heard it was also a movie that had the same melody and stuff like that mm -hmm. and then um jelly bean came out with the mexican and and um I think I, did I come out before that or he came out before that whatever but i i was trying i just wanted my version of the mexican mm -hmm. And, you know, and my take on it, it's like that that's just the way I, I saw it. I said, you know, I want it to be a heartbeat and just that melody. And I want it to have a loud percussion, you know, so it just sounds tough when you play it. So that that's what I was trying to just do a tough version of the Mexican melody. Yeah. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And, you know, we, we've kind of talked, uh, like touched on, you know, your your DJ, your touring career, your productions, whatever. And and that, you know, that magic million dollars. Uh, at which mm -hmm. point were you like, OK, this is where I'm at. I'm going to be the biggest production guy. I'm going to be the biggest DJ. You know, what what was pushing you towards that? I mean, I don't know if I ever uh, achieved it, achieved it, but I think I was pretty close with um, 
with uh, jumping. Mm-hmm. I, I think that jumping and keep on jumping that package was where um, I don't think I could have been touched there. Yeah, yeah. And when you're saying keep on jumping and, and that package, obviously, you know, it's keep on jumping, followed up with something going on. And obviously it was the... Yes, which top, which put it over the top. Yeah. So it was jumping as an unreleased project. And then it was, then we went in and did the song, keep on jumping mm-hmm. and then something going on. So I think that those three however long that took there i think i was probably in the the top of my game that i couldn't be beat there yeah yeah and and, and bringing together jocelyn brown and martha wash you know yeah. what what did it take for you to do that what was your experience of those vocalists as as an individual um, and why did you want to work with them and how did that all come together those tracks and well i always wanted you know two tons of fun mm-hmm and so that's why Martha Wash was on my mind because I love Just Us as a record, Just Us, from back in the days in the in, in the garage with Larry Levan and all that type of stuff. That was one of the records I was like, this is banging, you know, like this is crazy. Like I want to make a record like that. So, um, you know, bringing them together was uh, interesting and doing that record was even more interesting because they both wasn't there. No way. Yeah, I had to do both parts at a different time. So um, Martha Wash, she did, um, how did I do this record? So um, keep on jumping in and something going on. Yeah, Martha Wash, I did those parts with her. Mm-hmm. And I sent out for Jocelyn to do her parts over. Mm-hmm. And, and I put all the pieces together. Like I just sat there line by line. Who sings this better? That goes there. Who does that better? Why the how that's going to answer. That goes there. I did that to the, to the end of the seven-minute record. I sat there and did it. And they put that trust in you. There was no ego on their part. In terms I don't of- think they liked the idea. I don't think they liked <laughs> the idea at all. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I don't think Walter Wash or Jocelyn Brown loved what I did. I don't think. But um, I I think that it, it when it worked, you know, they just accepted it. But I don't think they loved what I did. They said that I put in some off notes here and there. I was like, well, okay, maybe I missed a couple of notes here and there, but I don't think anybody in the world noticed it with the strength of your voice. No. Sometimes it doesn't have to be perfectly on key. It's something about the delivery yeah. makes people just go, Woo, that yeah. girl could sing. You know, so <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I was going for. I was just going for the feel, no matter what. Mm-hmm. you know and you, you know you mentioned the paradise garage there and larry levan and, and you know that how that influenced you making this track it was like when when were these like 96 i think that was 90 yeah 90 yeah 90 94 95 96 somewhere around there yeah yeah and you know it's interesting that that influence that larry had on you like i i'd imagine quite a way back to to bring to something that was quite yeah yeah, yeah. i always wanted yeah i, I always wanted to get that um that Larry vibe where it just it the music changes the transactions the vocals are curving you into another dimension like you know it uh Larry um Larry's production was a body of work it wasn't just a mix it was just like a making a classic you know so I always wanted to make classics something that will play for 20 years 30 years mm-hmm. and 
that's that was my goal and i think i accomplished that with a ton ton of records because that's how i think of it you know i won't just let the record just be plain jane all the way straight through i'm going to cut into a bridge part and then this different percussion and then come back to this thing like i'm always trying to make a classic a classic a classic a classic yeah you know and you know thinking of classics um obviously we've got to talk about your remix of everything but the girls missing mm-hmm. um yeah. i mean that your remix of it is the definitive version of it right it's like you hear it on the radio it's your version that's playing um i mean yeah. how did that track come together how did it land on your desk is it something you pursued is it something you were asked to do were you invested in it when you did it what was the story there um, I was doing tons of remixes at that time, and I came across the desk, and I was like, oh, I want to do that one. It's a good song. You know, I, I was always really into the song mm-hmm. before the, you know, before anything, you know, and um, I listened to it, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. The, the song is really good. The song's really good. And, and my idea, I always wanted to do alternative music with my beats under it. Like, I always had a vision of that as me and Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger, like that crazy, you know, me and Paul Simon, you know, me and Billy Joel, like I always wanted to have the alternative on my, my beats mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that one just came in and then it was, it's a perfect vibe. I think we did it, took like three hours here and then, then I fixed it somewhere else and came back and fixed it and it was done. Like, and I don't think the uh, Atlantic, or the artists liked it at first, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was just a, too much of a change for them to have like this beat under their mellow stuff, you know, but I knew that that was the vision of what I was wanting to go and portray out there at that particular time. I did such records as um, the cores, Babel, that all had that kind of fusion going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that vibe where it's a kind of like a rock edge record on beats. It just kind of, um, it reminds me of some of our old records that we used to get into, like The Clash and stuff like that, you know. So um, I wanted that vibe. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the journey to that release, like you said, you know, you thought that maybe the artist didn't like it. Atlantic weren't invested in it that much and weren't maybe promoting it. You know, it had like, yeah. it seemed to have like a like a, a, a second life almost like in the beginning yeah. like how is that yeah. for you were you were you pleased when it kind of finally like you're like finally they've they've got their heads around this yeah i think that a lot of radio stations at the time you know kind of turned it down they didn't know what to think of it you know this house beat under alternative act you know i think they just it just their ears couldn't adjust to it at that particular time and then it kind of grew into them and it was the number one record. Yeah. So uh, that was one of those stranger ones to see build. I, I think it took like eight months before, you know, it was just on radio yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You know? So a little strange because kind of I thought that dead on and everybody's just going to love this. And they didn't love it. They, the stations, the, the label, the whole thing. Um, a lot of guys at the... Um, label push you know as far as uh joey carvello uh rich Christi- rich christina johnny demario and um you know they push that record yeah they booked it and they pushed it and then they, they saw it slowly come up and then before they know it, they knew it it was number one trust in todd i mean it's like i wish they were trusting me more now <laughs> 
I, I'm still fighting. I, I got to fight every day. But that's you know? the, that's the thing, right? I mean, like you must be producing stuff, and is there is it ever a surprise when you've made something and you're like, oh you know, that's derivative or I'm not invested, I'm not a fan of that and it's gone out and it's blown up or is it often this opposite way like with the, with the missing example? I, I kind of know it, but I, I know that the rest of the world doesn't get it sometimes. <laughs> I definitely know that. I know that they are, you know, I, I've, I've been turned down a lot, a lot of records and, you know, that I put them out myself and I do well with them. So. Yes. <laughs> That's why now I, I kind of just don't hand records to labels no more. I'm just going to do it all myself. And that's the venture that I'm going on this year. Like, I'm going to put out these kind of radio-friendly records that I believe are radio-friendly and just, just push them a little bit more, put some more money into them and just do my own thing. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be down with Atlantic Records and Sony and all these labels no more. I'm just going to try to push it myself as hard as, as, hard as I could. Yeah. prove my point indeed yeah, indeed yeah, there's nice there's a bunch of good music out there that's what i'm trying to do. awesome and before we come on to that i mean like just picking up on on missing just a little bit more like are you still uh you know it's nearly 30 years old that remix it's like are you, are you surprised at it's longevity like the the life that it's got out there great songs beatles michael jackson quincy jones great songs yeah great songs last forever mm-hmm and do, do you well, feel there's a pressure on you? It's like a bit of an albatross over your neck, or is it, you know, is it open doors for you and like ultimately looked after you and you're at peace with it? I mean, I, I did missing. I did something going on. I did bango. I did candy party. I, I'm not <laughs> worried. I'm not. I'm not. You know, if they if people don't say that all those was that I'm, if people say I'm a one hit wonder, I, I don't really know what to say. I hopefully they say, oh yeah, yeah, that's all he did. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, yeah. and, and the people I'm over that home. Yeah, over exactly. That. And the people listening to this right now are going to be nodding their heads and being like, you know, the, the the breadth of work that you've got is, uh, you know, you can't argue with it at all. And what it's created in the scene uh-huh. is unquestionable. Um, I mean, what, so you mentioned like what your future plans are then, you know, in terms of you moving away and like putting more stuff out yourself. You know, is that just to give because we spoke to a lot of artists and DJs on this. And often the frustration is when you're dealing with a label is that, they could be sitting on stuff for so long and you you know you're you're creative at the end of the day and you want to be creating and you want to be putting it out there is that is that generally the frustration that you've had well yeah i'm I'm just a little bit mad that i get picked over and they go out they go with this new guy that has no numbers no nothing whatever i think i i think i'm falling into the old black man category that they don't really want to promote me they'd rather promote the younger kid which i understand that I'm not mad at that, but it, it, the bottom line is really, you gotta go for the better record. You know, you're going for this kid that just made this track on his computer he just started and you're worshiping him. Mm-hmm. It's not just regular, they they actually are worshiping this kid for this half-ass track, yeah. you know, which is a good track, don't get me wrong. And and they keep on doing that. And it just, it just, it just, it, 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 that, that does make me hate when I, I get picked over for just this random thing that just came out. But it, it's all good. I guess um, I got to catch up and be random as hell, I guess, and do something as dumb as the kid did. So I'm, I'm there. That's why there's collaborations and stuff like that, just to give it a different face. Mm-hmm. It's the, great, the, the, the politically correct word I want to use. And I get, and uh, that's what I'm doing now on some of these next records. I'm just going to 
I'm going to play the field a little differently. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've spoken to um, Natalie Maddox from the House Gospel Choir on this podcast as well. Like the work that you've done with them is really interesting and really cool. Um, you know, and is that like, you know, a- another avenue for it, you? Hit records, mm-hmm. but, you know, sat there due to why? Because they went with this other, you know, not so musical track and spent all the money into that. And did they get a longevity out of that? That guy's gone. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, this is what I'm saying. How you how how are you not going to go with a choir that could perform worldwide? Why are you not promoting them? Yeah. That's a real artist. That's something that can turn into Madonna and Michael Jackson, something later on in life. And they just won't do it. They just rather go with this mediocre track and spend ninety thousand dollars on that instead of ninety thousand dollars on House Gospel Choir, which yeah. is very very strange to me yeah yeah i, mean, I don't see, yeah, i don't see the business logic in it mm-hmm. that's that's what i'm talking about forget about all the other you know stuff i don't i'm not seeing the business aspect in it it's uh, you know it's not doing it's not doing the scene any favors any either is it really it's destroying it mm-hmm. it's destroying it when you do that i'm not saying not to pr- promote that record but you should promote the artistry thing a little bit further yeah yeah and so when you're working like these days compared to, you know, back in the day, obviously you were cutting, scratching, you know, mixing things together like live when you're like, you know, recording yourself, like doing, yeah. you know, those early tracks. Like how far have you moved in terms of your production process? Obviously, it's a huge shift. But in terms of like how you create stuff now, um, what kind of what's your flow in the studio and how do you work and operate? My studio is this computer now. It's just logic. <laughs> and I took all my old sounds from my old records and I put them into Ultra Beat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's it. I take those sounds and I still just make the same mentality. I have, I just do it out of the computer now. I can sound like the SP1200 drum machine right out of my computer. So that's that. So I, I come up with the track. I, I do whatever I got to do. And then I send it off to my engineer, Bill Clatt. And he mixes it, and we bang out records. Bang out records, <laughs> just like that. It's yeah. nice, yeah, amazing. And I mean, in talking in terms of talking about kind of banging out records and you know tunes and things like that, you know, we'll come on to the the perfect playlist that you've submitted your your tracks for. And this is a Spotify playlist that um, all of our podcast guests have submitted to. It's you know it's huge. It's over thirty. 35 hours long i think off the top of my head it's got oh, really? yeah, yeah it's just nuts it's got oh. every 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 person is uh we've got five different themes which i'll talk to you about um mm. and every person's put in you know for, uh, like a different track based on these themes uh, and you can find it on spotify it's called house culture perfect playlist and um this is where we talk about um i'll give you the theme and i've got your choices here as well so i can remind okay. you and you so just surprise t- me. <laughs> indeed let's do it as a surprise yeah. <laughs> i kind of know what i, I would, what i would pick but let me i'm curious to see yeah you've way. already mentioned like a few of them actually so um but so just uh, in terms of like the theme why uh, why you chose that track about that theme just like a bit of color you know a yeah. bit of uh, yeah, yeah, info yeah. around it would be really cool so we always start off with the catalyst like a tune that opened your ears to either electronic music dance music house music and you've mentioned it already it was shannon let the music play i mean that obviously popped into your head we've kind of spoken about it a bit a while back but you know 
what specifically like is memorable about that track for you is there a special place where you heard it can you remember the first time you heard it and it pricked up your ears what was your experience with it i heard it on a radio station called wktu and they played it and I was like, and I just like, you know, I think my friends were talking. I was like, shut up. And I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, I'm hearing a voice. And the voice sounds like beautiful on top of the track. And the sounds were biting into the vocal. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 ding. And I was like, oh, that's interesting how it's just they're bouncing off of each other, you know, and I, I never kind of heard anything like that. And, you know, I was I was really analyzed into the sounds. I was like, these sounds are like out of this world. Like, how did they make how did they make these sounds? And the drums are hard. And I was like, oh, OK, so that's hip hop now. You know, mm-hmm. it's just you know, sped up with melody and stuff like that. So I was mesmerized by the, the fusion of those like things together, you know, nice stabby sounds, vocal, nice and airy and smooth and the beat mm-hmm. hit me. i said oh i gotta do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's interesting that you were actually analyzing like that because you were obviously producing stuff already at that point yeah it's almost like i zone out the whole world and i was just like Ugh. Mm-hmm. okay i got you know I'm, I'm leaving guys i'm going to the, going back home to work you know, like, <laughs> it's kind of like one of those things like i dropped everything i'm doing and i went to go figure it out and you know and i was like waiting and those times you know you had to wait on the radio station for them to say the name of the record for mm-hmm. before you could even buy it and figure it out there was no internet to just go and type in a nice song with let the music lyrics in it you can never find it. so i had to keep on staying i'm standing by the radio just like waiting for it to come back on again until he tells me the name of the record mm-hmm. so i can figure it out and save up money to go buy the vinyl to play it to understand it more yeah so that that was the whole thing is you're sitting there at the radio it's like damn why won't they play it why won't they play it? You, you know, you're waiting around to, oh, they're playing it. Just like really analyzing it. I had my little cassette recorder. I'm trying to record it mm-hmm. so I can just, you know, have it for myself. It was just different times. Yeah. I mean, kids, they don't know the struggle, do they, these days? No, it's nuts. Not at all. No. Not at all. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of that, um, you know, that production aspect of that, you know, really sitting down and analyzing and like you say, you went, you know, you're locked into it. You know, do, do, does anything like that still happen now? Um, you know, is there, do you hear things these days and does, do things still surprise you or do you? Uh, the only other thing that surprised me after Let the Music Play was Kraftwerk. Mm-hmm. And, but Kraftwerk was before, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. That's, that was dope. Like, I I couldn't figure out. I, my whole thing was like, what drum machine is that? Yeah. Because that was the whole trick is to figure out what drum machine are they using? Mm-hmm. And Kraftwerk had made their own drum machine <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't so now what do you do you want to be like them but there's it's impossible to be like them that's yeah. why they to this day mm-hmm. never could be exactly duplicated yeah at all peerless absolutely cool okay so the next track on the playlist um is a floor filler um you know and this is sometimes you know sometimes people approach this differently you know either it's a floor filler like everyone's on the floor you play the big track it's all hands in the air or sometimes we've had people that have been like you play that one track where it just changes things from a bit of a warm-up to getting people onto the dance floor you've gone big and it's uh we've already really covered about it it's uh something going on by your good self Uh, the reason why i picked that track for myself because i had to take myself out of the box that 
if I didn't produce that track, I think that still would have been a great record. Mm-hmm. That's why, again, I, I pick my own records most of the time because I'm stepping out of me, you know, that, okay, this definitely did work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just talking out my ass, you know, like, and, you know, just blowing up my head. I'm picking it out the box, not just because of me, but just because of the singers too, you know? So yeah. it, that that's the key of why I picks a lot of my stuff. I'm stepping out of myself to, to pick it. Um, something going on, you know, I look at it as um, you could play it anywhere, I think. And even if a kid never heard it before, the kid would just check it out. Like, what's that record? Mm-hmm. I heard this melody the other day I really like. You know, I think I think I gave a lot of that to the table. And I noticed I just played on this boat called the Friendship Boat. And, you know, I played it and I saw a bunch of the kids, right? Right before me. And it was just like, and they're holding, they're going in their phones and stuff <laughs> like that. And I'm like, this is the evidence record. And they're, they're, they're really checking it out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're talking about it. They're talking about the record. And mm-hmm. I was just really, intri- that really made me happy, actually. Just that they was young and they were just really checking it out. That's good to, good to hear and good to see. Yeah, it's for me, it's all about that wump. Wow, wow, I, you know, I, yeah. hearing that on a sound system is like the warp. I, I call that the warp. Whatever it, a beat is playing and something is just like enhancing the beat, mm-hmm. I, I warped out. You know, warp. You know that that whole thing, just the action. Yeah. You know, the right type of action on the beat, and that 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 particularly worked really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, you you said that it is a track by yourself. Do you sometimes feel when you're DJing and playing that there's a pr- pressure or expectation from you, from the crowd to play stuff that is yes. by you? How does that sit with you? If I don't play certain records, people get mad. <laughs> That's why I play the same records on my set. I, you know, I know I, I see probably other DJs like, oh, he, he plays the same shit all the time. I, I am sorry. I have no other choice. I have no other choice. I can't just go into playing something that they don't want to hear. They mm. paid 40, 50 euros to hear me play these records. I am so sorry. So I apologize to anybody that goes, he plays the same thing all the time. I can't, I, I, unfortunately, I can't really help it. Yeah. It's pro- got to be a, five or six of them at least. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The price of fame. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't get away with it. And I won't do that to my fans. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you don't know who's in that crowd, where they came from to to, to go to the show. You don't, you know, you got to, I, I try to please everybody. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what a DJ is supposed to be doing. Not playing eight minute records and smoking a cigarette. That's, that's <laughs> black to me, you know. Yeah, always, always be busy. And the, um, okay, so next track is a Sunsetter, track to, soundtrack a perfect sunset you have chosen everybody loves the sunshine by roy Ayers. real change of pace what's your what's your experience with that and why did you choose it um i was in um a bar and i think that came on mm-hmm. and i knew his records from um from back in the days and i did for some reason i didn't know that one and i heard that high synth and i was I was like, oh shit, that's like Summer Madness, Cool of the Gang. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that's, I, that's what, you know, I love music. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he, he took it there. He took it to like music and mood. Yeah. So this, that particular record, you could be on a sun on a beach, just 
with a drink and you put it on you you complete your day yeah yeah it's one of those tunes every time i hear i just see the color yellow <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason. oh that's that's yeah. interesting I, I i thought about that too like i i get a vision mm. when that record comes on it's it's orange and yellow and, yeah you know the you know perfect beach scene and you know you get that whole mood going on with that record you, yeah you have to there's no other mood to get but that you know <laughs> it, it it creates that and that high synth sound is the sun mm-hmm. yeah that's the sun yeah that's what the sun is right there that's mm-hmm. that's the sun yeah so brilliant, you know, brilliant track thank you for putting that in there um okay so next one is a tearjerker we've already mm-hmm. spoken at length about this but it is missing by everything but the girl your remix of that it's it's an interesting um success as well in that um, and we've spoken to a few people on the podcast that, that uh, you know, how do what they've described as kind of like melancholic dance music. And it's not often, you know, you think of dance music, you think of like disco and that influence that, you know, it's all about high energy celebration, you know, the coming together, you know, to have something that's like a bit more moody and melancholic is quite rare. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, yeah. My vision, you know, let's let's talk about vocalists. Mm hmm. She creates a mood like no other. Tracy Thorne, yeah. Yeah, her voice is like no other. Mm-hmm. Can't be duplicated. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna get that 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 rich, like it's it's dark. Yeah, it's it's dark light. That's what that is. Yeah. you know, it's how do you get those two together? That doesn't make no sense at all. But that's that's what she brings to the table. She brings a dark, sexy light to a beat. Mm-hmm. You know. It's, it's pretty incredible. So that's why I picked that. Not because of me, because of the vocal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it gives off a really good feeling. She she definitely does. Okay. Um, last tune, crowd are asking for one more. You've chosen Let's Dance by David Bowie. I like that record. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the horns in that record. I like the the echoes. People don't realize that. That's echoes, mm-hmm. you know? that's 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 unique yeah nobody's done that before now rock that nobody's nobody's taking so some i I like picking records where people just take a chance on something Mm -hmm. not not the regular thing he could have went that 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 yeah but that 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 like it it floated out say more it's it's you know I'm, i'm i'm always looking for the difference in in something and that's the difference that made you check it out and you know Bowie's vocals, you know, it's like, come on, man, you know, you could see him singing it, singing it for the rest of your life. You could just see him singing it. Yeah, cool. All right, we always have the the one final question that we ask our um, our guests, and obviously we are house culture, um, and you are on the yes. house culture podcast, and you know the the whole culture of the scene. You know, what does house culture kind of mean to you, being a, you know a store of that scene, someone who's been there from the very beginning and given us so much. You know, what's the scene given you, and what do you think of house culture when you look at it? Um, I mean, I, I've had some up and downs with, with the whole house thing, you know, sometimes I loved it. Sometimes I hated it. Sometimes, you know, it, it just, some parts of EDM ruined it. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of up and downs and some, you know, some artists have, you know, taken advantage of our sound because mm-hmm. they ran out of things to do, you know, which is what's happening now. Everybody's mm-hmm. to go house now because they ran out of. You know, the dumb music is 
it's just it was just it's just a lot of dumb music for the last <laughs> 10 years so it's like now everybody wants to come to house because they i think they realized the, the soulfulness of it and that you are creative mm-hmm. and that you are making music and that you are you, you you got intricate things that nobody else can can do or think of that's in that you know now they want to take our creation to make their pop records which is fine, which I, I've done 30 years ago and nobody wanted to hear that. So um, it's, it's, it, I've have, I have strange up and ups and downs. Right but house music in general, we need more songs. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way for us to go further. And we need these radio stations that are claiming to be house music stations to play the damn songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They won't play them. They, they, it's like they got, they keep on doing the same thing over and over, whether it's just a piano track to the end or it's you can mix it up you can mix it up it's nothing wrong with mixing it up that's that's why it's house music that's why that's why it's there for it's there to be something to to give to the world and you won't let us give it brilliant place to end on that's a great final thought thank you so much perfect thank you so much all right peace (laughs) house culture peace (laughs) Uh, somehow the Americans do it so much better don't they I mean just wow what a legend Todd is I've got to tell you it's sometimes pretty nerve-wracking chatting to your heroes like that especially one who is often described as a god so I want to thank Todd personally for being so accommodating and taking the time to tell us his story I hope you all enjoyed hearing it If you want to catch Todd playing live this summer, you can do so at Glitterbox in Ibiza or Defected at Eden. But if you aren't lucky enough to be travelling to the White Isle this summer, you can see Todd in the UK at Camp Festival on the 27th of July, the Wilderness Festival on the 3rd of August and the 51st State Festival in London on the 5th of August. Do not miss out. However, even if you're all booked up this season and haven't got room for any more events in your life, make sure you soundtrack your travel plans with the House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify. This is where you'll hear Todd's fantastic choices, as well as all of the other submissions from our previous podcast guests. Seek it out, shuffle it up and play it loud. And when you're on Spotify, please also leave us a comment on this episode, which you can do so in the Q&A description underneath the description on your mobile. If you're not on Spotify, there are still no excuses, people, as you can write us up a review on Apple or leave us some feedback on YouTube. Remember, all of the nice ones will get a shout out on a future episode of the show. Which leads me to say a huge hello to James Park, who thought that our chat with Roy Davis Jr. in our last episode was one of his best interviews ever. Thanks so much for that, James. Really great feedback. Roy was a great guest. and We totally agree with you even if we do say so ourselves. Now, this is the end of the episode. I'd like to thank you once again for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at HouseCultureNet, if you don't already. And also follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture to stay up to date with all goings on across our community. And I'm always available on Instagram as well. So please follow or get in touch with me directly at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Brave safe and see you next time. House Culture.